chapter 22 in your Bible. And uh, let's just give our clean team and our ushers and our setup team a whoop whoop or a round of applause or whatever you'd like to give them. Um, really appreciate you guys uh, getting in here and sanitizing everything and working hard to, to fit us in like a, uh, like a puzzle. And um, do be praying for a larger space. Uh, it is our intention, desire, uh, to grow, uh, to continue to grow as, as a church, uh, to continue to reach out to the community. And as you can see, we need a larger space to be able to do that during the season. And so that is a big prayer request uh, that we're asking you to join us in. Uh, and also, another prayer request is this tutoring center. Uh, we want to we provide a space for kids to come and, and learn. Uh, and be, be, be helped, uh, a place where they can print things off and turn things in this fall. Um, so we are uh, praying for, uh, specifically, and this is also a request, we're, we need five volunteers, or at least five days of volunteers, uh, to be able to really pull it off. And uh, so if you're able to give a day uh, based on your work schedule, uh, please, please let us know. It would, be, of course, be during the school day, um, so that's, that's our challenge. Uh, but be praying for that. Pray that God would provide. Luke chapter 22 in your Bibles. Starting with verse 54, we are going to read through verse 62. Luke chapter 22, verse 54 through 62. And it reads, Then they seized him and led him away bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are all you are one of you also are one of them but peter said man i am not and after an interval of about an hour still another insisted saying certainly this man was with him for he too was a galilean but peter said man i do not know what you're talking about and immediately while he was still speaking the rooster crowed and the lord turned and looked at peter and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. I want to preach to you this morning under the title, Denied. Jesus was betrayed by Judas and denied by Peter. Let's pray together and ask God for his help as we study his word this morning. Father, please come to us now. Give us ears to hear, hearts that are malleable, able to be shaped by your word. I pray for the person in this room 
who has been or is currently denying Christ. And I pray that this morning you will particularly encourage them and all of us as we too are prone to abandon the name of Jesus Christ for personal gain. Help us as we study. Help me speak truth, your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bone that breaks is stronger uh, as it heals. That same principle is applied here in this text. This text shows us the breaking point of a man named Peter. However, the bone that breaks is stronger when it's healed. Our story ultimately doesn't end in sorrow, but it ends in strength. So I just want to, before we get into all of the darkness of this passage, I want to just point us toward the hope and the light that is, that is in, this, in this, uh, this word. For all of us who know the sorrow of what it means to abandon Christ, you know the sorrow of what it means to be broken by your sin and by your guilt. The person who's been broken is a person who's stronger because of Christ. The text begins in verse 54. Then they seized him. That happened in the previous passage in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus had prophesied that this moment would take place and the, the, the crowds come uh, along with Judas as Judas betrays Jesus and they seized him. They lead him out of the Mount of Olives down the hill into the city of Jerusalem. He's led away to the home of Annas and Caiaphas, these are the high priests, Annas and his son-in-law, serving Israel together as high priests. Uh, their homes would have been either uh, one in the same or connected by a courtyard. In the middle of the night, the crowd wakes up the high priest with Jesus in bondage. Jesus there in chains. This would be the first of a, of a series of quick trials that would lead to a death sentence. A short 19 hours later, Jesus would be hanging on the cross dead. As the story goes on, Peter, we see is following at a distance. They led him away, it says in verse 54, bringing him to the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance, verse 58 or uh, 55. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, they sat down together and Peter sat down among them. So these houses in ancient Jerusalem were in close proximity to one another, connected by 
a courtyard. And, and as the, uh, those in the houses would sleep, the servants would gather around a fire in the middle of the courtyard. And so here, Peter joins them. He's following along with the crowds. Listen, we, we often think of Peter as the, uh, the scared, weak disciple who denied Jesus. Before that happened, we've got to recognize that Peter actually was the one courageous disciple who followed Jesus. Jesus had prophesied that Peter would deny him. And do you guys remember how Peter responded to Jesus' prophecy? He completely denied it. He denied that he would deny. And he said, I will be committed to you. I will go with you even to death. What we see happening in this text is Peter's courageous. He is following all the way up into the courtyard of the high priests. What we see in this text is not the weakest of disciples who deny Jesus. But church, we see the strongest of disciples who deny Jesus. Peter is following at a distance. The fire is kindled and he sits down with the servants. That is the setting. That's how our story begins. Are you confident in your own commitment to Jesus Christ? Peter was confident in his commitment to Jesus Christ. Peter promised that he would remain with Christ. He, he uh, persisted with Christ. He was present with Christ. But Peter wasn't prepared for the heat that is about to come. Are you ready for the heat that is to come? Like, do you realize that you can actually be confident that you will follow Jesus in a proud sense? A confidence in my flesh sort of sense? Oh, it's easy. It's easy to follow Jesus. It's easy to be all about his kingdom when Jesus and his kingdom is popular. But just wait till Jesus gets put on trial. What happens then? I wonder if you have a cocky spirituality. Oh, no, I will never deny Jesus. I'm with them. I'm with them till the end. We're good. Listen, church, what happens in the heat of temptation? What happens when all of a sudden your sinful desire begins to flare? Are you confident that you will not deny Jesus? The pot begins to boil. And the first denial comes. The fire that they're sitting around begins to illuminate Peter's face and he is quickly recognized by a servant girl. Verse 56. She, she, the servant girl, seeing him 
as he sat in the light and looking closely at him said, this man also was with him, but he denied it. That word denied is a word that means to abandon. It's where we get the idea of apostatize. To commit apostasy is to desert one's party. It is to discontinue obedience. To abandon Jesus Christ is to organize then a whole or a part of your life disconnected from Jesus. It is to organize the whole or a part of your life, life detached from obedience to Jesus Christ. That's what it means to deny Jesus, to abandon him. Now, we've, we, 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 we've got a lot of confusion today as it relates to what does it mean to be faithful uh, to Jesus? What does it mean to be a faithful Christian? I remember a couple of years ago, a friend of mine was talking about a friend of his who is not a Christian. Now, my friend who professes to be a Christian said of his non-Christian friend, he said he doesn't believe in Jesus, but the way he lives his life, he's really more of a Christian than I am. And I paused him, and I said, bro, if he denies Jesus, but he's living a life of good morals, he's actually an antichrist. Like, to live a life of good morals doesn't make you a Christian. That makes you the opposite of a Christian. To trust in your morals. To trust in your righteousness. Look, a Christian first and foremost is somebody who says, I am broke morally. I am in utter need of Jesus Christ. Now, for those of us who are professing Christians who are misconstruing what I'm saying right now. I'm not saying to be a Christian is to live a life of immorality. we got to turn this around for a second. To profess Christ with your mouth and to deny Him with your actions is to apostatize. It's to deny Him totally and, and utterly. You see, cheap grace is the grace that is embraced by somebody who says, well, I can believe in Jesus and I'll be good, but it doesn't really affect the rest of my life. I'll receive Jesus as my Savior, but not as my Lord. I'll receive the forgiveness of Jesus, but I won't commit myself to obedience to Jesus. That's cheap. That's cheap grace. No, see, see, to deny Christ is to de deny Him in any part of our life, whether it's mentally, whether it's with your words, or whether it's with your actions. I don't care where you deny Him. If you organize a part of your life uh, disconnected from loyalty to Jesus Christ, you are completely and utterly denying Jesus Christ i got to go back to the question that I asked you, and that is this. Are you, are you sure that you're committed to Jesus? Are you confident in your commitment to Christ? 
We live in a world where uh, people abandon each other all the time. We live in a world where loyalty is a thing of the past. We live in a world where fathers abandon children. He was supposed to show up at your game, never came. We live in a world where husbands abandon wives, where mothers abandon children. We live in a world where where friends abandon one another at their darkest hour. I wonder if you know what it's like to be abandoned. Maybe you guys have never been denied. Maybe you don't know what it's like to be abandoned by somebody. Or maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what it's like to live and to feel this world of abandonment. Listen, do you know that there is one who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you? Though the world might abandon you, Christ will remain true. This is the Jesus that we're talking about. The Christ who is with us. Even in our abandonment of Him, He remains true to us. Yet, Jesus' own words in Matthew 10, 33 says this, Deny me before man and I will deny you before the Father. Let's let that sit with us for just a moment. Jesus himself said, if you deny me in this world before man, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. Look at verse 57. The night gets darker and colder. This man was with Jesus Verse 57, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. The construction of that sentence is similar to what's called a Jewish band band formula. When someone would be kicked out of the synagogue, a similar sentence would be used. We do not know him. We do not know her. It was a way to push someone far away from us to to deny even knowledge of, of one, to deny any kind of fellowship with one, and to deny a spiritual sense of belonging to the other. It's almost as if Peter uh, denies knowledge of any activity with Jesus, but Peter's got to one-up himself. That's not enough. Peter's got to not only deny activity with Jesus, but he's got to go on to deny even knowledge of Jesus Christ. In this dark moment, this this disciple who was so confident in his fellowship and his commitment to Jesus Christ effectively uh, excommunicates Christ from his own life. Denial number two. As the, the, as the heat is turned up on Peter, the questions begin to come. As we get into denial number two, 
We see here in Luke that a man asks Peter, uh, again, brings an accusation of, uh, against Peter of being with Jesus, being associated with him. Now, in, in Matthew, uh, we're told that it's a servant girl, which leads to denial number two. In Mark, we're told that it was another servant girl's accusation, which leads to denial number two. In John, we're told that there is a whole number of people who begin to bring accusations against Peter, which lead to denial number two. And here in Luke, we're told that it was a man who accused him of being with Jesus that brought him to denial number two. So which one was it? Was it a servant girl or another servant girl or a number of people or was it a man? I think the answer is yes, all of the above. I think as we look at the four Gospels, what we see is a complete picture of a rapid fire uh, uh, accusations coming against Peter as it begins, as, as, as the fire illuminates his face, as soon as that servant girl uh, asks that first question, she just takes it off and here it goes. And all this, this, this barrage of questions and accusations begin to come at Peter and we're just turning up the heat. We're turning, is Peter ready for this? It's intense. That's the picture we get. And so here a man says, well, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. He denies here discipleship with Jesus. He denies even being part of Jesus' twelve. Peter denies activity with Jesus, he denies knowledge of Jesus, and he denies discipleship, denies being on Jesus' team. When I was growing up, I played a lot of backyard football, and my neighbor would always switch teams based on who was winning. You remember that, kid? So, we, we, so he'd be on my team, and uh, the opposing team would score a touchdown, and we're kind of like running back to the other side of the field, and I turn around and I see him down kicking off with the other team. He switched. But then he would switch back before the end of the game if we pull ahead. He would switch teams based on uh, who currently seems to have the upper hand. Church, I wonder if you switch teams based on who currently seems to have the upper hand. As the world uh, begins to make these accusations and the heat begins to turn up, we've got to ask ourselves, am I back and forth with Jesus? I wonder if there's anybody here who would say, it is good to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I wonder if there's anybody here who would say, it is good to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And then I would ask you, is it always good? I don't mean like theologically. I mean this worldly, the way you experience life. Does it always feel good to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Is it always good? Maybe, maybe I don't want to be rejected by the world. Maybe I don't want my friends to think of me as like super religious. Maybe, maybe I 
don't want to crucify my flesh. Maybe I don't want to resist temptation to the point of blood, as it says in Hebrews. Maybe I don't want a king over me. Maybe I want to be my own king. Maybe I don't want a lord. I want to be my own lord. Maybe I don't want to be a disciple of Jesus. And so so what do you do? You switch teams. Back and forth based on what? You switch teams based on who currently seems to have the upper hand. On Sunday mornings, it's really easy to be on Jesus' team because he seems to have the upper hand in your life. But how about Monday morning? How about Friday night? Switching teams based on who seems to have the upper hand. Now, I am here to tell you that it doesn't matter who seems to have the upper hand. There is only one victor, and he's already won the victory. And his name is Jesus. All right? So Rome can come at Peter. The enemies can come at Jesus, and for a second it looks as if Jesus is on the losing side. If you are with Jesus, it feels as if, in all reality, you are going to lose in this world right now. But I want you to know that there is no loss with Jesus. A temporal setback in any battle does not determine the victor. Whose side are you on? Whose side will you remain on? But for Peter, this night is dark and it continues to get even darker as he actively denies activity, knowledge, and discipleship with Jesus Christ. And that leads him to not one, not two, but three denials of Jesus. An hour passes. By the way, what's going on with Jesus during this time? We, we, we find out in the next passage that Jesus is being questioned. He's being blindfolded. He's being beaten. He's being tortured. While Peter's in the courtyard denying him. An hour goes on deeper into the night. And on this cold night as they sur- are surrounded, surrounding themselves uh, around this, this fire. And as they continue to ask Peter questions, they, they notice something about his dialect. You sound like a Galilean. I know that accent. I've got family in Galilee. I know where Jesus is from. I know where his disciples are from. I mean, it's so obvious. That's why there's this rapid fire against him, because everybody knows that he's one of the disciples. And so here comes the third denial. 
Look at what leads up to it. There's this question on his, uh, where, where he's from. In verse 59, after an interval of about an hour, another insisted, saying, certainly, this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. Peter says, man, I do not know what you are talking about. Look, that word with, look at that word with in verse 59. Look back, just a previous page, on, in verse 33. Chapter 22, verse 33. This is where Jesus prophesies that Peter is going to deny him. And in verse 33, Peter in response says, Lord, I am ready to go, what's the word? With you. Both to prison and to death. Peter wanted to be with Christ. Peter promised to be with Christ. And here Peter is told that he is with Christ. Isn't that interesting? I will be with you. In the accusation, certainly this man was also with him. There is no greater honor on earth than to be called one who was with Jesus. Think about it. One who was with Jesus. There's no greater honor that your kids could give you as you grow old and pass away than to say, this one was with Jesus. My mom, my dad was with Jesus. Man, if I could live the rest of my life and on my tombstone, all it says was, here lies one who was with Jesus. That would be the greatest honor in the world. That's what Peter wanted. That's what he longed for, was to be known as one who was with Jesus. Isn't it amazing how the, uh, the devil can take something that is such an incredible honor and turn it into such a great offense? He's here called one who is with Jesus. And it's not an honorable thing to be called in his mind in this moment. And he says, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. In verse 34, after Peter promised that he would stay with Jesus, Jesus responds and says, Peter, I, I tell you, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. Back to verse 60. Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. A friend of mine once stole a, a microwave from me. It's kind of a weird thing to steal. And I knew he stole the microwave. I didn't have a camera set up. I didn't have any witnesses, but I knew 
I nearly stole my microwave. And uh, so I sat down with them, and I just put it out there, and I was like, bro, I know you stole my microwave. And he, and he just looked at me, he looked at me like I was omniscient. That means all-knowing. Like, how did you, like I was, I had some psychedelic powers or something. How did you know? How do you know? Like, he, he was just so shocked that I knew. Like your mother back in the day when she would know something that you did, and to this day you don't know how she knew, Right? There's this feeling, this, this sense of being caught that Peter knew that night. As Peter, Peter denies Jesus Christ not one, not two, but three times, he gets caught. You know what the deception of sin is? The deception of sin is simply this. We think that there are times in our life when Jesus is just not looking. This is uh, the sin of Jonah, right? He thought he could run from God and find a place on earth where God can't find him. A place in the world that God made. And this is also the deception of Peter. Well, how do we know this? Well, we know this because when Jesus was in front of Peter, he pulled out a sword and cut off a soldier's ear. But now Jesus is not looking. The deception of sin is this, is that sometimes we can just get away with something. Nobody knows. Like no, even, even God doesn't know that I'm in this closet right now. Nobody, even Jesus... he's just not looking at me now. Jesus knows maybe that you've done well. He knows that you've been faithful to him, and and so he's just allowing, he's just looking the other way just for a second. That is the deception of sin. To believe that Jesus is not looking. Well, Jesus is looking. (laughs) And this is what Peter quickly finds out. Look at the text as, as Peter denies Jesus for the third time. It, this leads us to our climax in the, in the story, verse 61. It's almost, as if, it's almost as if in God's providence, the event that transpires in verse 61 happens. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine what Peter felt in this moment? uh, Jesus Jesus is nowhere to be seen. He's in there getting this rapid fire of questions. Peter's denying Jesus once, twice. And then in this moment, he denies him a third time. Denies uh, activity with Jesus. Denies knowledge of Jesus. Denies discipleship with Jesus. And in this third denial, immediately while he's still speaking, the rooster crows and Peter looks up and makes eye contact with Jesus. 
Scholars say Jesus was likely being led from Anna's house to Caiaphas' house. Or maybe Jesus was in a room with a window overlooking the courtyard. We don't exactly know how all of a sudden Jesus is present. But in this moment, Jesus, even in chains, makes his presence known in Peter's life. And Jesus looks at Peter. This tells us first, Jesus is aware. Jesus is always aware. He knows. He not only knows what's happening. Jesus, for Peter, he prophesied. He said this is going to happen. Jesus knows the denials currently in our life, and Jesus knows the denials of our future. Jesus is fully aware. And secondly, this reminds us that Jesus is facing trial all alone. Listen, church, if you are alone, I want you to know that Jesus needed no help in coming to you. Jesus needed no no help in purchasing your redemption. He did not need Peter to help him die on the cross for your sins. He didn't need his disciples to stand with him as he was put on trial and then executed. No, Jesus is the sufficient Savior. What happens when Jesus is all alone on the cross is that he takes the wrath of God that Peter deserves on himself and dies for the man who just denied him. And not just Peter, but all of us. If you know what loneliness is like, I want you to turn to Jesus this morning. Our call is always the same, trust in Jesus Christ and turn from your sins. Know that He is better. Cling to Jesus Christ and what you find is intimacy with God. Intimacy with the Father. Intimacy with uh, with Christ. Intimacy with the Holy Spirit. I wonder what those eyes, I wonder what those eyes looked like that Peter looked into. You know, eyes, eyes can, eyes can say a lot, can't they? I uh, was watching a video of myself, and you know how sometimes you see yourself on video and you're like, ugh. That's how, that, that was sort of the, the vibe I had uh, watching this video. My wife, she has this tendency of pulling out her phone and on Instagram, like this live video, something or other. I don't even know how it works. All I do is post pictures on Instagram. I don't know anything about the, the stuff up, up above with videos to watch. And so my wife, every time she pulls out a phone, I know what's going on Instagram. And it bothers me. All right? <laughs> Um, and so uh, this one instance, she pulls out her phone and she's videoing me, and I and I kind of look up uh, and I just look like this. <laughs> and um, and I was trying to communicate like to my wife, like, hey, don't please don't put that on on Instagram. And I looked at the video and I thought, ooh, those were some freaky eyes. 
<laughs> I really hope she won't put that on Instagram. My eyes communicated wrath. You know what I'm talking about? Our eyes communicate. And as Peter looks into the eyes of Jesus, I just wonder what those eyes communicated. Were they eyes of disappointment? Were they eyes of rage? Were they eyes of frustration? Were they eyes of surprise? Were they eyes of anger and rage? Or were they eyes of compassion? Here where it says, Jesus turned and looked at Peter, the original Greek there is typically translated looked upon. Jesus turned and looked upon Peter. That word for looked upon is only used in five other places in the Gospels. It's used twice of Jesus loving and teaching His disciples as He looked at them. It's used as Jesus looked at the crowds, loving them and teaching them. It's used of a prior interaction with Jesus and Peter as Jesus looked at Peter and said, You are a rock. And on this rock I will build my church. And it's used of a rich young ruler in conversation with Jesus as the text reads, Jesus looked at him and loved him. In each instance in the Gospels, when this word is used, looked at, it references Jesus' love and compassion. As Peter looks into the eyes of Jesus, he looks into the very eyes of love and compassion. These eyes caused Peter to remember what Jesus had said to him. Verse 61, he turns, looks at Peter, and Peter remembered. Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Look, church, how do you get out of this spiral of denial? How do you, how do you break out of this spiral of people-pleasing? How do you break out of this spiral of death, fear of death, the consequences of of, of, of uh, Uh, rejection by the world. How do we break out of that? As, As the Lord looks at you, we remember His words. Remember what Jesus has said. Look, the words of man are like feathers on a stoop, gone as quickly as the wind comes. But the words of Christ are like a beautiful mountain range that goes on and on and is magnificent. You just gaze upon it and you see more beauty and they are everlasting. How do we get out of the the fear of man? We're no longer concerned about man's fickle words. We remember the words of Christ. Church, do you know the word of Christ? Are you in the Scriptures every day? Do you even have a recollection of what Jesus has said? Or are the Scriptures so foreign to you? You never read the Bible. 
Is it so foreign to you that you hardly even have anything to recall? When Jesus looked at Peter, Peter remembered what Jesus said. His eyes not only caused Peter to remember his words, but his eyes caused Peter to repent. Verse 62 is probably the most emotional verse in the whole Gospel of Luke. It simply says, he went out and wept bitterly. He went out and wept bitterly. It doesn't say he went out and wept. He went out and wept bitterly. I picture Peter screaming, convulsing, gasping for air. Look, cheap grace doesn't cause us to weep over our sin. Cheap grace doesn't cause us to weep over our denials of Christ. No, cheap grace causes us to just shrug off our sin and our denials and say, eh, Jesus, Jesus is my Savior. I've got grace. Now that's cheap. The repentant is one who weeps over their sin. Now, the careful Bible student in the room might say, well, wait a second, Judas also wept over his betrayal. That's true, he did. And we could say there are two types of weeping. There is weeping of despair in our sin, and there is weeping of hope in repentance. For Judas, his tears led him to suicide. However, for, for, for Peter... His tears lead him to repentance. Brokenness. Utter despair over his sin. The tears then of the repentant are wiped away by the Savior. There was a battle with two brothers in the same regiment. This army had been beaten, and one brother lay dying on the ground. The other brother was still able to walk. The brother that was able to walk saw his brother dying on the battlefield. The dying man implored him, let me die, just go, save yourself, get off the battlefield. His, his walking brother would not hear anything of it. He picks up. The man lifts him, puts him on his back, and carries him off the field. And as they are trying to find a place of safety, the warmth of his brother's body who carries him revives his spirit, and he would survive. But by the time they arrived at this place of safety, the brother who carried him staggered and fell dead beneath him. One brother, you see, had given his life to save another brother. You've got a brother who won't leave you dead on the battlefield, but is giving his life to save yours. As, as Jesus is about to receive this mortal wound on earth, in this moment, Peter abandons him. In this moment, Peter leaves Jesus to die.
I wonder if you know the depths of abandonment. I wonder if you know what it's like to be rejected by man in this world. I wonder if you are hurting. I wonder if you are, in a sense, mortally wounded. I, I wonder if you know what it's like to be denied. Listen, a true brother won't leave you there. A true brother won't leave you on the battlefield. A true brother will pick you up and put you on his shoulder and bring you to safety. But does anybody know that there is a friend who even sticks closer than a brother and his name is Jesus? The friend with the mortal wound is not really Jesus here. The friend with the mortal wound is Peter. Oh, Peter's the one in a bad space. Peter's the one who is on his way to eternal death without any hope if there is no Savior for him. Peter is the one who is overwhelmed by his own excessive sin and guilt. But by his wounds, we are healed. Unlike the story of the brothers on the battlefield, Jesus' story doesn't end with his death. On Sunday, Jesus got up from the dead. Jesus defeated what uh, the, the worst that the world could have thrown at Peter. He defeated it. He defeated what Peter feared. On that Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead and he lives and we are given the promise that all who trust in Jesus Christ will one day be raised to new life as Jesus comes as the King. We will rule and reign with Christ. Jesus' eyes caused Peter to remember, to repent, and ultimately his eyes certainly anticipated Peter's restoration. After Jesus rises from the dead, Peter is there at the empty tomb. He sees the place where Jesus laid. Twice Jesus appeared to his disciples, and the text doesn't say anything about Peter talking to Jesus during those meetings. I imagine Peter was at a distance maybe refusing even to make eye contact at Jesus. Can you imagine the horror of Peter? The horror when he sees Jesus die, and then the horror when the one he denied gets up from the dead. Will Jesus ever accept Peter? Becomes the new question. Will Jesus ultimately deny Peter? The other disciples would have spoke to Jesus. They did speak to Jesus. One of the sweetest stories comes in John chapter 21. It's the third appearance of Jesus to his disciples. The disciples are out on a boat and, and they see Jesus on the shore. Peter, recognizing it is Jesus, he jumps into the water, swims to the shore, and he just evidently kind of stands there and looks at Jesus. They eat breakfast, fish, 
And then finally, Jesus breaks the ice. And he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I do. Jesus says, well, feed my sheep. He asks him a second time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Jesus says, well, tend to my, tend to my lambs. Peter denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And Jesus gives Peter the opportunity to reaffirm his love not once, not twice, but three times. He says a third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know my heart. Because Peter was repentant. He was repentant. And he truly did love Jesus. And Jesus said to him, follow me. I wonder if you've denied Jesus. I wonder if you know the dark, that dark place that Peter was in. I, know if you, I wonder if you know what it feels like to be under the guilt of being one who's abandoned Jesus, publicly or privately, with the whole of your life or just a part of your life. My friend, Jesus is looking at you. Turn to Christ. Let those tears be tears of repentance that lead you back to Christ and know that all who turn to Christ are accepted by Christ, restored to intimacy with Jesus. And, and Peter did follow Jesus. Never again would Peter deny Jesus Christ. This same Peter would go on to plant a church in Jerusalem. The first church. The same Peter would go on to plant a church in Rome. The same Peter would go on to stand before the emperor Nero as the persecution of the church greatly increased under his reign as Nero was burning Christians alive at his dinner parties to create torches and lamps. Peter refused to back down. He refused to deny activity and knowledge and discipleship of Jesus Christ. He would stand strong. And according to tradition in A.D. 64, Nero put Peter onto a cross and he was crucified for Christ. And as, as, as a way to mock Jesus Christ, they turned the cross upside down. And there Peter died. The disciple who denied Jesus would never deny him again. Why? What was the difference? What was the difference between Peter in denial and Peter standing strong before Nero? What was the difference? Well, the latter Peter knew, knew the whole gospel. He knew the whole gospel. Listen, church, there is no excuse for any one of us to, to deny Jesus Christ. We know the whole truth 
of what happened on the cross that Peter did not know in that moment. We know the whole truth that Jesus rose from the dead. And so we now already have the, the kind of motivation that, that the latter Peter had as he stood before Nero. Why? Because on the third, at break of dawn, the Son of Man rose again. And now he stands in victory. The angels roar for Christ our King. Oh, praise the name of our Lord, our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing his praise. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Our God. Pray with me. Father, we thank you. We thank you for restoring Peter and giving us this hope that we who have denied Jesus are not hopeless. We're not utterly lost, but we have, we have in Christ all that we need. We have in Christ forgiveness of our sins. We have in Christ the hope of ultimate redemption. Restore us this morning, O oh God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.